Welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin. This is session number 28. Before we get to the show, I just want to ask you something. What does success look like to you? It's a question I ask pretty much every guest I have on the Maniverse podcast. In each episode, I get a different answer. What makes an LGS successful is different for each person. Some want a thriving store with hundreds of happy customers. Some want financial freedom. Some just want a business that can pay them and their employees. However you define success personally, I created ManiverseSaga.com and the Maniverse podcast to help you get there. Whether you already own an LGS and you want to grow your business, or you're just getting started, there is something there that can help you achieve your goals. But I want to take it even further. Recently, I reached out to test the waters and explore the demand for a more structured approach to learning the skills you need to run a successful LGS. And you guys seem to really resonate with the idea, so for the last few months, I have been developing something new, something I'm pretty excited to present to you now, and I'm happy to finally introduce Maniverse Academy. Maniverse Academy is the online school where you can find courses exploring the core skills and systems you need to build a killer LGS. The courses will cover topics like uh, the secondary market, branding, social media marketing, events, selling online, and uh, with hours of video and audio content in each one. Each course uh, is self-paced and can be accessed from pretty much any device. Right now, I uh, invite you to try out the How to Run Awesome Magic Tournaments mini-course. It's free, and it won't cost you a thing. It's a, a quick introduction to running magic tournaments, and it's a small taste of the content in the flagship course. And if you like the mini-course, you'll really like the full-sized option. So right now, if you have a chance, you can go to maniverse-academy.usefedora.com You can also go to maniversesaga.com and click on the Maniverse Academy link in the top bar. The links will also be provided in the show notes for this episode, so I look forward to seeing you there. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Today, we're talking to Steve Ellis, one of two owners of a fantastic shop known as Rainy Day Games in Aloha, Oregon. Steve has a wealth of experience to share this week, so much so that we had to split the conversation into two episodes. So this is part one of a two-part series. Fifteen years of running an exceptional full-line LGS has given Steve plenty of insights into the business of selling games. Combine that with the work he does consulting and developing for various game companies on the side, and Steve has quite a lot to say. Over the course of this interview, you'll probably notice something about Steve, and it's that he truly cares about his community. Running a game store is very different from running most other businesses. It's more than just shipping product and generating a profit. It's about the relationships that are created between you as the owner, your customers, and your employees. It's the value in an actual community that wouldn't exist outside of the store you create. And it's one that creates friendships that can last decades. I think it's a bit of a symbiotic relationship. The quality of the LGS builds a quality community of gamers, and then the community returns that value to the game store and allows it to flourish. 
Rainy Day Games has this in spades. Steve has built a business and nurtured a community that has made him a great success. And he's an excellent example we can all learn from. But enough from me. I'll let Steve take it from here. Okay, yeah. I mean, my name's Steve Ellis. I currently own Rainy Day Games. We opened in 1998. I'm kind of a full-line game store, focused on board games, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I guess I got my game business in... um, uh, interest early on as a kid playing games growing up i mean my extended family always played games at the holidays um uh, then as i grew a little older i got hooked on things like risk and access and allies with my young buddies in middle school and that kind of stuff so turned into D and other things so i mean just kind of a gamer from way back uh, that's kind of kind of the base the baseline story after that i mean i went off to college got an engineering degree i worked in high tech for about eight years Mm-hmm. Uh, then myself and a friend of mine, Jeff Abramson, started the store together. We actually met playing Magic. <laughs> um, uh, we used to play Magic at lunch. We worked at two different tech companies. And uh, sometimes I'd walk across the street and we'd play Magic, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We used to play Magic at a little comic book shop. And it was going out of business at one point, And we were like, wow, that's kind of... It's going to be disappointing to not have a place to play magic together right because we kind of like to get out on the weekends maybe play a little magic with some friends and uh, we thought well maybe we should buy this place we thought well that's silly neither one of us have ever done anything in retail in our entire lives (laughs) that would be foolish and we looked at it a little bit and we're like well this business is actually pretty unhealthy and there's a reason why they're going out of business (laughs) so we said well that's silly that's stupid a little bit of time went by and we came back to that conversation it's like you know we could just do our own store and start from scratch and so that's kind of where we ended up, just talking about it. And we got together and said, well, how much money can you afford to lose? <laughs> <laughs> and we both kind of came up with a number that was comfortable for both of us. And we started the store. I actually hired the manager from the failing comic book store because it turned out that it was not his fault at all. It was just a lack of capital investment and interest by the people who own the business. Hmm. So, um, uh, And the funny thing is, is he's still with us today after, or all those years and he uh he did take a one-year hiatus and about a year and a half hiatus worked for a bank and did another work managed a movie theater and then one day made a comment to my wife saying yeah i don't really love this i probably should have never left (laughs) (laughs) that's a good sign and we said well you can come back (laughs) and he did so you know it's kind of kind of interesting that we've had that same guy essentially on our staff since we opened yeah that's that's impressive that's a but long yeah, time to. One of the, I think one of the things that both Jeff and I found important when we opened the store was, you know, through working for some big corporations in our tech lives, we both kind of realized that the relationships and things with employees was important to us. Okay. Kind of having long-term employees that liked their job and kind of shared the enthusiasm for gaming and that kind of thing was important to us. So we've always felt that you know paying our guys pretty well. And taking good care of them as far as, you know, time off requests and game stipends and things like that was important to us. Because, I mean, in a way, they're family. (laughs) I get it. Yeah. So it's, I mean, and and having worked for big companies and not having that. And I've also worked for tech startup companies where, you know, you kind of have that camaraderie and family feeling where everybody's kind of all in together. Mm -hmm. I think that's a more interesting and thriving environment to work in. So we, we kind of tried to hold that model. 
Sounds good. Less hours. Sounds good. <laughs> Less hours than a tech startup. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but uh, but other than that, I mean, it's it's been really important to us to kind of focus on employees. And one of the things that my industry peers are always shocked by is how long certain guys have worked for me. I mean, I've got guys who've worked for me for since '98, and then a few other guys who've worked for me a few years after that and are still with us. So, wow. Yeah, that is. I've got it's pretty couple, unusual. Yeah, it is unusual, and I've got a couple other guys who spent maybe a ten-year stint with us, and then moved on to, you know, high-tech companies like Intel and stuff in the area. So, you know, kind of hung with us for a long time, and finally, finally made the jump to the real world. <laughs> so but it's exciting to see guys move on to those successful careers as well. I've got mm-hmm. um, a couple guys who've, you know, kind of come up with us, gone to school part time got their engineering degrees and things like that or gone on to become engineers or technicians and stuff in the area. So that's fun too. So do you just attract tech people? You know, I think somewhat, uh, I think there's, we have a lot of tech people because Intel, all of the, the largest Intel facilities in the world are all within about 15 minutes of my store. Hmm. So I think we've got a huge base of technology in the area. Um, uh, so I think there's a lot of, people who are just kind of tech oriented live in the area a lot of my customers are tech employees you know we also have the nike corporate headquarters close by you know so we have a lot of those guys as well but uh, i think a lot of tech based employees are pretty excited about gaming in general and in recent years i think a lot of them have seen kind of traditional hobby board gaming and things like that as a great way to get away from their computers that they're stuck at most of the day Mm, that's for sure yeah. A little face-to-face interaction. Yeah. 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 It's fun. Yeah. So uh, I looked at your website for your store. Yeah. Have, the thing that jumped out at me right away was uh, disc golf. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah disc first, uh, what is it? And then so, why is that like a, a standout thing for you? So disc golf is is very – I mean it's it's played very similarly to – regular traditional golf where you hit a ball with a club, right? The difference is in this game, there's Frisbees that are slightly different than a traditional Frisbee, but essentially they're Frisbees. And so there's a bunch of different styles of Frisbees where they throw slightly differently. The better you are, the more they behave like a, like they're supposed to, of course. Okay. So, you know, you might have an, a range of, you know, you might have a half dozen or a dozen discs in your bag, right, that do different things when you throw them, just like different golf clubs do, right? Different distances, maybe turn a different way, that kind of thing. So it's basically played like golf. You keep score the same way. There's instead of a little hole in the ground, there's a basically a basket on a post with chains hanging from it. And you throw the disc into those chains and it falls into the basket. And so that's kind of how the game is played. Okay. How it works well for us is that it's a it's a huge upswing in the really nice weather months. So when you have a lot of people wanting to get outdoors and do other things, it's kind of a it's a great casual sport. Um, unlike traditional golf, where you're hitting a ball with a club, which takes many many years and untold hours to kind of master. Mm-hmm. Um, Disc golf might take a long time to truly master and play at a professional level, but the learning curve from I've never done it before to I'm moderately competent and having a great time is is pretty, pretty quick, right? You can get out within the same day and be throwing okay. I mean, most people have thrown a Frisbee. Yeah. 
right? So, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same as throwing a Frisbee. Just put a little more, you know, athleticism behind it and work on your form and you get better, right? You know, so it's a, it's a great sport that you can play casually with a disc or two and a group of friends or a family kind of, you know, stroll around, walk the course, throw some discs. It's, it's just, it's very low cost. Most of the courses in our area are free or at a state park that has maybe a $5 parking fee or, you know, an annual pass that's really cheap. Um, so it's a really cheap, easy to play outdoor activity and surprisingly or not has a huge crossover with people who play games. Uh, hmm. You know, it's kind of an outdoor game in many respects, right? I mean, it's a yeah. sport slash game. So yeah, it's been a huge success for us. Almost everyone on my staff plays at least at a casual level. Um, I would say there's one or two of us who play a little more seriously off and on, but I mean, pretty much my whole staff plays casually and it's, you know, you just don't have to be real good to have a great time, which is, I think, what makes it kind of a really, I mean, you know, like the parks and rec departments like to call it a lifetime sport, right? Because mm. people of all ages can play and there's really nothing so physically demanding about it that it's going to, you know, become the game you can't play, right? Yeah, whereas actual golf, there is a certain point where, okay, you can't play anymore. Yeah, and I think there, I mean, there probably is for this as well, but un- unless you're trying to play at a high level. Yeah. You can you can throw a frisbee without too much exertion, right? You know, yeah. so, um, a lot of the little local courses are pretty short, you know. So while a pro might birdie every hole, you know, the casual guy is going to get it in a three or a four every time, and that's pretty pretty satisfying, even if you're not great, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been a phenomenal thing for us. It's really kind of put us on the map to a whole different customer base. Yeah, you know, yeah this whole other demographic of people who enjoy these outdoor activities. And then when the weather gets bad, they remember that we have all this other cool stuff to do inside. Interesting. So it's a great, a great way for us to attract a whole different demographic and new crowd of people into the store. Um, uh, it's funny. It has uh, people ask me about it all the time. It's like, well, how does it do? And it's because it is a professional sport on kind of a low level, right? I mean, there's, I've had the you know the reigning world champions been to my store, done signings and stuff like that, <laughs> in town, and things like that. But it's it's very similar to, you know, professional magic player, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's a professional, he makes a living. It's probably not phenomenal, right? And it's not super widespread, so that everybody knows what the what you're talking about. Yeah, but it's growing very fast. I've noticed that historically, it didn't get much press, but this year. I think it's been on the ESPN Sports Center top ten three different times. Hmm. So individual shots at professional tournaments have made the top top ten, which is kind of exciting. Interesting. So it's definitely gaining some recognition. Uh, and I think it's poised. I'm uh, Tony Hawk said a couple years ago that he thought it was the next kind of skateboarding sport. That it was poised to explode like skateboarding did in the '90s. Uh, I guess all it needs is a. Uh... Tony Hawk's Pro Skater kind of video game to come out to make it popular for the kids. There you go. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's just the kind of thing that, you know, anyone can do if they try. You know, so lots of little kids could hop on a skateboard and be okay, you know. And have fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. No. So Makes sense. Fun. The same kind of mass appeal. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a fun thing to do and surprisingly has brought us a tremendous amount of customers. I think it's probably the best, you know, unique marketing thing we've done 
in years, and it actually turned out to be a real staple section of our store that really holds its own sales-wise as well. So, Very interesting. So chicken or egg, did you bring in the disc golf and then the customers came, or did the customers come in and say, hey, do you, like we play disc golf and you kind of saw the opportunity? What happened first? So I had a friend of mine who had a um, – uh, who hosts a kind of a game, an extended gaming weekend event at his house. And he did this for about 10 years running, right? Where he had a bunch of old college friends who would fly into town and everybody would basically just game, eat food and do stuff for, you know, like four days, right? Like a little Mm -hmm. mini convention at his house. Sounds like fun. Yeah. And one of the activities that he introduced me to one year was one of their outdoor things was as they all got together and went and played disc golf, which I had never heard of. Okay. Uh, so we went and played disc golf and I was like, wow, you know, this is really fun, you know? And I mean, we just played for a couple hours and I felt like I actually had a really good time and I don't feel like I'm awful. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and I played ball golf before growing up with my grandfathers and stuff. And you pretty much feel like you're bad. Yeah. Most of the time. Right. You know, so even the good players, interesting. Think yeah, it was an interesting dynamic. Right. And so I started looking around and asking more and more people. And I realized it's like, Oh, quite a few people actually play this. And there aren't really a lot of places to buy the product because it's just not that big, right? It's a very niche market. The sporting goods store in town had, you know, you know, here's the 10 discs you can choose from. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, well I bought that one last week. Yeah. (laughs) They only have the same one I bought last week. That's interesting. And so I found a place that was quite a drive that had a selection. And I thought, well, this is really neat. Contacted the companies and said, Hey, you know, it's, what do I have to do to carry this? And it was really easy. So I brought some in and my customers kind of were, my gamers were kind of like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and That's then the reaction I would expect. Yeah. You're bringing in and, Frisbees now. Eh? Yeah. And it was kind of weird. And then suddenly more people started coming in and some of the gamers were going, Oh yeah, disc golf. I play disc golf too. I didn't know you carried that. And it's like, wait a minute. So a percentage of my customers already knew about it. Right. Mm. And then it started to kind of take off quickly with my customers as one guy would be like, Oh yeah, I used to play that in college. And his buddies were like, what? And it's, and next thing you know, they're buying discs and taking their friends out to play for the first time in 10 years, you know? And so it grew really quickly. And about the same time we started, I would say maybe a year or two after I started carrying it, um, several of the local high-tech companies putting courses on their campuses. So like Tektronix added a course, Intel has a course, there's a couple, MaxTech has a course um, uh, right on their property for, for their employees to play on at lunch and after work and stuff. Neat. So, yeah, so that was kind of nice because it also gave the sport a lot of visibility locally. Because suddenly you can see these baskets where you're driving past these properties, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of people are like, "Oh, I've seen that on such and such over by that, you know, that such that other company, right? I saw those. They have them at their work. It's like, yeah, they do. <laughs> so yeah, it's really taken off. There's actually, I would say, a half dozen other game stores in the country now that carry disc golf because we started it. <laughs> cool. And I've talked about it at trade shows and people always ask, well, will it work for me? And I say, you know what, what's, you have to go home and look at your area. Do you have a bunch of disc golf courses? <laughs> is well, there anyone selling discs? That was the other question. Like, is it the fact that you have disc golf courses nearby that makes it that much more popular? 
could somebody who didn't have that kind of an infrastructure set up for them, could you just, you know, start selling disc golf and it would work? Or is it a local phenomenon? I think you definitely have to have courses. I think a lot of people would be surprised to find out that they have more courses in their area than they think. Hmm. Um, uh, I know that I had friends in Philadelphia who were like, I don't know if we have any courses. And I, you know, I, I went and Googled it, visited them. I said, look, you've got courses in this park, this park, this park, and this park, all within a half hour of your house. And oh, they, okay. They, oh, I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, it's right here. It's it's just kind of hidden because it's often in, you know, some part of a big state park that no one really goes to unless you play disc golf. You know? Perfect. Yeah. yeah. So I think it works great, If, but I don't think you could sell it if you didn't have didn't have courses, right? I mean, it's just... It's kind of the same thing. I know I've got a friend who has a store, kind of a game toy store out at the coast, and he sells a tremendous amount of kites. But he's at the beach where they have a constant breeze. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, I mean, I'm like, ooh, kites would be cool. And then I look around, it's like, oh, there's a reason no one sells kites inland. There's yeah, there's, no there's definitely an environmental reason for the whole thing to exist. Yeah. For the market to be there. Yeah. But I think it's it's important as a store owner to kind of be – open to those new ideas when they come adaptable um uh you know i know some guys who've done crazy great business with something as simple as a you know a little section of the store that's pinewood derby cars for for cub scouts you know Hmm. um which will work great if you're in a spot that doesn't have the person selling those already right Um, yeah just that's a skill for sure Really identifying yeah. the opportunity because you could be somebody who's like, oh, I think this derby car thing's a great idea, and then you know maybe there is no market for it. You have to really kind of yeah. have a, I don't know, have an ear to the to the ground to really know what's going on. Yeah, I mean we've been we've been really careful about. I mean we try to carry a nice assortment of things that are, you know, puzzles and um, uh, other stuff that kind of straddle the line between a game store and a toy store a little bit you know we carry marbles and other things like that but i think it's important to not become too much of a toy store particularly if you have really good toy stores in the area (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, i would rather send my hardcore toy you know little kid toy seeking customers to the great toy store that's 15 20 minutes away and have that toy store do the same for me when it comes to somebody looking for really good games for you know, adults to play. So specializing is really important. I think so. I think, you know, being broad to some degree is important, but if you're not, you know, you've, you've got to draw the line somewhere because one of the things that I always say is that you don't want to add product lines to your store where your staff can't be experts. Okay. Cause in the, in the specialty retail market, which is really what we're in, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. not just, game market it's specialty retail right when you go to a specialty you know kitchen supply store where things are going to be full retail and they're only going to have the best brands you expect the person you ask questions to to be an expert and to be able to tell you what the difference is between this knife and that one or this pan and that pan you know it can't be just i don't know these sell well (laughs) you'd hope so for sure right they know what they're talking about yeah, that's not why I seek out a specialty retailer when I'm shopping, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, otherwise you could just go to Walmart. Exactly, or you know, or you're just going to order it online and get it cheap. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean, I know as a specialty retail owner, 
You know, I appreciate customers who want to come experience my store and get that level of assistance, right? Um, because really, that's what we can offer that you can't get at the place that's just the cheapest. The place that's the cheapest that has the employees who rotate every three months, you know, who have never cared about their job. They're just there to get a paycheck. Yeah. Right? It's I just mean, another minimum wage kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you when you shop at a specialty retail store, you expect to be treated in a certain way, right? So if your staff can't address questions and talk about, you know, pros and cons of various products or make recommendations based on, you know, the criteria the customer provides, right? It's, you know, I mean, and it's okay if someone on your staff says, you know what, let me, let me go check with or let me go get so-and-so who really knows our role-playing game section, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's okay to have experts within your staff, I think, that are, you know, even more focused and more, you know, intensely passionate about a given product line. But, I mean, everybody has to be passionate about what you sell. Otherwise, you know, they might as well just go work at the grocery store and stock shelves. <laughs> and your customer might as well just go to Amazon. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And they're, I mean, you know, they're the the 800-pound gorilla that's in everybody's, you know, everybody's home, right? Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. they're a button-click away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's a pretty good segue. So you do online sales as well with your store? Almost zero. Almost? Almost zero online sales, right? We will um, we will occasionally put something on eBay. We'll occasionally, you know, sell something through Shopatron, which is a basically an order processing center for a bunch of manufacturers where they, instead of selling themselves, they process orders regionally through stores that carry their products Um, you know so nothing i mean we're not very active on that front because it's just there's very little margin in online sales Mm -hmm. Um, i mean i could put a tremendous amount of effort towards it i mean certainly with you know my tech background and the friends i have and still in the tech world i mean i could build some you know fancy website do a whole bunch of online sales and increase my gross revenues by a substantial sum. But essentially I'm just paying a bunch of people to do a bunch of work and making almost zero profit. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the impression that I've got from most people who do kind of dabble in that section. Anything they do online, it's like they make pennies for everything. Every item that they ship is just, they make it up in volume. Right. But it's, that's a huge amount of work. It's a huge amount of work and a, and a tremendous, you know, I think it's kind of a, I mean, I, I feel like it's a burden on a specialty store staff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I would basically be hiring another, another type of employee to do that because there's really no specialty retail knowledge needed to be a guy who processes web orders, sticks them in a box and sends them out. Yeah, that's right. just shipping and receiving. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, in that case, I'm hiring, you know, an entirely different skill set that I probably don't want to pay what I pay my current guys. Mm. Right? And um, and I don't want my current guys to be spending a significant portion of their time doing that type of work because then I don't think, I don't think that that would be a job they love. 
they like interacting with customers and talking about cool games and selling things and I mean they do all the other stuff that's required of a job right I mean they have to receive orders and do all this other stuff that's kind of you know less exciting and fun but if you take it is still a job yeah I mean it's still a job but if you take the you know the specialty retail part out of it you know you're basically just working in a warehouse packing orders that doesn't sound doesn't sound like the kind of business I want to be involved with every day and that's fair that's that's a decision you have to make pretty constantly whether oh, or not yeah. that's the kind of business you want. Is that the job that you want to be a part of? Yeah, and I certainly don't knock anyone's decision to be the guy who's an online retail guy, you know, pounding boxes out the back door. If that's what you want to do and it makes you a living, I'm, I mean, I don't have a problem with it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like guys who, I mean, I've got some contacts in the industry who basically run shops that are magic stores. You know, and they mm-hmm. don't really diversify. They don't have a lot else on their bottom line. You know, and I'm like, if that makes you happy and you're okay with the fact that, you know, and your business model is, I'm going to make as much as I can off the magic boom. And when it when it collapses at some point, which everything goes down at some point, right? Can't, you know, yeah, can't keep when, going forever. Yeah, and if and if magic collapses, I have an exit strategy where I just don't do this anymore very quickly. Um, I think that's a perfectly valid business model. Um, it's not what I want to do because I don't want to transition into doing something else. I really like, I like having the business I have and I like dealing with customers from time to time and I'm not at the store all the time, but it's, I I like it when I'm there. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, uh, and I, and I love, you know, seeking out new product and, you know, learning up on, you know, figuring out which games are going to be hot and which ones to buy a lot of and which ones to pass on and all that kind of stuff is fun to me. So, you know, I don't, but I mean, I have friends who just basically wheel and deal magic, and they make a lot of money. And yeah, I've talked to a few of them. Yeah, and when and when magic crashes, they are firmly on board with bailing and being done. You know, um, uh, like close up shop being done, or like okay, oh yeah, dive yeah. into something else. I mean, they might dive into something else if it's there, but if it's not, they're fine just shutting the doors and being done and having made a bunch of money off magic. You know. It could be worse, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, and I, and I, you know, people, some people in the industry criticize those stores, and I say, you know, it's like it's really not open to me to criticize their choice of business model, right? I mean, it's it's a perfectly valid model if they're making money and enjoying what they do. That's, I mean, it's nothing wrong with it as long as they kind of have that exit strategy in the back of their head that, you know, this could all go away, and I'm prepared for it. Mm-hmm. So you're a pretty diversified store then you have a lot of many different things you don't focus on like just board games you have a variety i would say that board games are our main focus okay um uh, but i mean even even with that you know they're probably you know 35 percent of our business yeah you know maybe 40 percent depending on the year but um uh, you know you want to have i mean we have a lot of categories i mean are my stores kind of broken up into the you know, board game category, which is our biggest, you know, then probably the next biggest would be the collectible card game category. But it's much, much smaller than, I mean, you know, our magic number is probably in the 20% range. And I know guys who are in the 95% range, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and their store is not unhealthy. It's just very vulnerable to a magic dip. Right? Yes. Um, uh, you know, if, if, if magic disappeared for me, if magic went away completely... Um, from my, I would lose that chunk of business, 
but I would gain it back and then some based on the strength of my other categories because of much of my competition would just disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, so for us, I mean, we've got, in addition to that, we carry a pretty decent role-playing game section. Um, we do miniature gaming. We do jigsaw puzzles and brain teaser type stuff. And we have disc golf and we have, you know, um, we carry a pretty decent selection of the Funko pop vinyl stuff and a bunch of other little pop culture things. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so it's, you know, it's nice to have the diversity. And what I found is that, you know, if you're careful, those added categories increase sales and don't steal sales from each other. Um, yeah. That is yeah. something you'd want to be pretty careful about. You don't want to have a, something cannibalize something else just doesn't really uh, build on your store in that way. Yeah. from For our store, I mean, I know there are a few, I think there are a few stores in the country that do an incredible job of being giant, diverse miniature stores that carry, you know, 10 or 12 active miniature lines that really thrive for them. Um, for us, we kind of found that that was the opposite. If I got to that many, it, it tended to hurt all of them. So we kind of, we focused on, you know, a smaller number of miniature games. And um, we find that to be very successful because it keeps our player base at a critical mass and it keeps, you know, all of those guys with an active group to engage with. Um, uh, and then there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of other stores within the Portland metro area as well. So there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, there's a couple other stores where we'll send customers to, to play certain games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this game is not big enough for the four biggest stores in Portland to really support it, you know, but it's like, I'm happy to send you to my friend that owns this other store and, and you should play that game there and he'll send something else to me. Right. Um, uh, in an attempt to kind of salvage the smaller communities for some of the fringe games, right? That's a good idea. Do uh, do the other stores kind of reciprocate? All the major stores in your area, do they do you cooperate in the way that you kind of trade customers? When I think I think for the most part, it's a pretty friendly store environment in the in the Portland area. Um, I mean, certainly some of us that have known each other longer and you know have closer ties are probably better at sending people to each other mm-hmm. than, than some of the newer stores that we don't all know as well right um, uh, but i think for the most part you know it's a fairly friendly environment i'd say the only area that i would have a complaint as an owner would be that there are some guys who you know maybe put undue pressure on on everyone with um uh, you know pricing for certain events that are supposed to be special and they'll run them as a lost leader to try to gain customers or something like that. Um, uh, but I think that happens everywhere, you know. But for the most part, I think we're all pretty friendly and more than willing to, you know, call another store and find a product for somebody or send a customer there. I mean, I, I learned a long time ago that my customers that are in my area are my customers. And they're going to shop at other stores at times, but they're not going to drive 45 minutes across town on a weekly basis to buy games, you know, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. you're going to shop locally. I mean, that's kind of the, the whole point. Right. And we may be a draw for certain customers from other parts of town for certain product lines, you know, and somebody else might draw people in from a long way from a different product line. But for the most part, your customers are going to be your local customers are going to be pretty loyal unless you're doing something incredibly wrong. Right? Yeah. Unless you're actively turning them away. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like for the most part, you know, there's one other store that 
has been around a little longer than us that we've been really, really great relationship with forever. And we're probably, you know, at the right time of day, maybe 25 minutes apart, which means there's a chunk of people who are 15 minutes from both of us probably. Yeah, a lot of overlap. Right? Um, uh, And I mean, I don't think we've ever, you know, ever had any friction at all. And for the most part, you know, he draws from one side, I draw from the other, and we have some crossover where customers will go to each, but it doesn't, I mean, we've never really felt any tension over that. Um, uh, And we'll actually sometimes even do stock swaps and things like that with each other to help balance inventory. And, you know, it's, I can't think of a better relationship, right? I mean, it's just, you know, we're both in business to make our customers happy and try to make some money. And there's really no, no reason to compete on a confrontational level. Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty ideal. Yeah. Like if you can yeah. work with each other in that sort of way, it smooths out a lot of the rough patches and it just seem, sounds like a better situation overall than actually trying to like undercut one another and, you know, yeah. drive someone out of business. That seems like a, yeah. And it's worked crappy. And it's worked, it's worked really well for some of those games where, you know, especially some of the collectible card games over the years where, you know, it'll be big for a while and then they kind of fade mm-hmm. and you're looking at it and you're going, man, I've got, you know, five or six guys who want to keep playing and there's just really not enough critical mass yeah. to make it interesting. You know, and I talked to my friend who owns the other store and he's like, I'm in the same boat, right? With these two other games, right? It's like, okay, let's just tell, <laughs> let's just promote each other's events and you send everybody here for that game and I'll send everybody to you for this game and maybe they'll be happy, <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe you'll be able to combine, get enough going on. Yeah, maybe there'll be enough guys left for them to all play with each other and have a good time and still feel like their game is viable. Um, uh, and that's worked really well a few times in the past with, with games for, for us. So, I mean, I think it's, it's important to think of, you know, competition in different ways, right? I mean, I mean, I just don't feel like we're competitors in that way, right? I think I'm, I'm a way bigger competitor with my local movie theater than I am with the guy who's 30 minutes away who has a game store. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those movie theaters are drawing a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Stealing those entertainment dollars. Exactly, right? Mm. I mean, it's the entertainment dollars that are limited. Um, I don't really feel like the the gaming dollars that they're going to split between us is, is the issue, right? I mean, I think it's whether or not they decide to spend their money on gaming or not, they're going to spend most of it with the store they're closest to. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, like I said, unless you're, unless you're turning them away, which, you know, with any luck, you're not doing. But yeah, I think... I think that's been key. I mean, I think in long term, you know, we've had stores pop up even in between those two stores, myself and the other store I talked about, that mm-hmm. have not had that mentality and have been kind of the opposite, right? You know, we'll no, do whatever it takes we'll, to steal. Yeah, we'll be aggressive, <laughs> we'll discount, and we'll take everyone else's customers, and then we'll win somehow. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's you know, to date, none of those guys have really pulled that off, and they typically don't last that long, which... You know, I think I think says speaks volumes of the community as much as it does our stores. Mm-hmm. And then also their mindset. Just it won't yeah. last. It doesn't work. Don't try it. It doesn't. Don't try it. it. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean what works is service and you know, treating everyone with respect and making sure that people have a good time when they come to your store. 
You know, I mean, that's that's what builds the community that lasts over time, right? I mean, pricing is not a does not build community or loyalty or loyalty. Yeah, all you all you've trained them to do is look for the next guy who has a better deal. Yeah. Wait, what's the biggest mistake you've made with your business? You've got a lot of history at this point, right? Like fifteen years. Yeah, I so. mean, I don't know. The biggest mistake, probably, um, I think, probably our original. Our original location wasn't fantastic. Um, in hindsight, that was probably a pretty big mistake that we survived because we opened shortly before Pokemon happened. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, certainly the most fortuitous thing that has ever happened to us was we opened about six months before Pokemon. <laughs> it's a good time to get in. Um, uh, with no idea that Pokemon was coming. Right. Um, and I think, but I think that helped us kind of survive a bunch of our early mistakes. You know, I think our original location, um, geographically was an okay spot, but in hindsight, we were not in a spot that was visible from the right places on the roads. You know, we were kind of we were in a, a shopping mall, strip mall type place, but there were some freestanding things in the parking lot as well, and we just were not located, positioned well for um, uh, drive-by traffic to find us and things like that. Um, uh, so that, I think, was kind of a, a weak initial location. I think it was also um, more expensive than we should have settled on for our original spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we went a little more little more upscale neighborhood for our first three years than a game store should have. We were probably overly ambitious there. Um, uh, Like I said, Pokemon made that work. But without it, I think we would have been in trouble in that that rent area. And when we were faced with renewal, we were, I mean, there was no way we we weren't stupid. We could do the math. There was no way we were staying. (laughs) Um, So it was, I mean, we survived. Long enough to Switch locations and yeah, make a better go of it. Yeah, once you have a better understanding, of what you needed. Yeah, and then we made another. I mean, kind of. Uh, I mean, fate hit us again in a weird way. We moved um, uh, the month preceding nine eleven hmm. um, uh, to a gargantuan space compared to where we were before, and no one shopped for a while. <laughs> After 9-11, it was a big, big hit to consumer spending, right? I mean, people just stayed home. Uh, People were afraid. Yeah, yeah. So we were kind of left wondering if we'd made the second biggest mistake. (laughs) You know, it's like our first location was overpriced and small, and then we moved to a bigger place. And um, our per square footage number was much better, but overall it was still higher. Yeah. Uh, and And our sales tanked for, you know, six to eight weeks right after we moved right and that can be pretty rough yeah so i mean it was scary we were definitely set up to handle it but it was very it was very scary but i mean i think that initial location search was probably one of our biggest mistakes right i think we just didn't have a good feel for what we needed as a specialty game store um uh, you know so we overpaid per square foot our visibility was poor you know, we thought we were in a, a good area for for retail and things like that. And it turned out maybe not to be such a great retail area, right? We were probably still 
I'm uh, uh, several strip malls away from where the better retail was. It was even more expensive. Um, uh, so we kind of we kind of landed in nowhere land where we didn't pay quite enough to be in the prime retail area, but we way overpaid for what we should have been doing. Hmm. Um, uh, Would you have been able to avoid that? Like um, in hindsight, right? When you have all this I think experience. In hindsight, in, in hindsight, if we had, you know, done a little more soul searching on what we really wanted, we probably would have ended up in, in a slightly more downscaled retail area, um, uh, you know, which is where we're, where we've been since then. Right. You know, um, knowing that we're, you know, long-term, the business is much, much more a destination oriented business than a, than, you know, visibility walk-in traffic type retail. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think that we kind of, we kind of halfway in between, the prime retail location for walk-in business and overpaid for what wasn't really working for that business model. Right. Um, and I think we probably should have known that, but it's hard, it's hard to know in hindsight. Right. Um, uh, of course. And it worked okay. I mean, it wasn't like we, we buried ourselves. Obviously we, we, we made some money, we got out of it and we made it, made it work you know, when we moved, but it was definitely looking back on it. It's like, wow, we, this was a bad plan because there was no way we were going to withstand the increases at the end of the three year term. So there was no hope of renewal from the beginning. And I think that in our minds, we kind of hoped there would be. <laughs> mm. So that's a, a good point too. then. Also, when you're looking for the first location, keep in mind that the lease has to renew and will probably yeah. go up. Will it continue to work? Yeah, I, I think one of the big things we learned there was, you know, that when you're, when you're going to take a swing at something, you should always, you should always swing for the big success. Um, uh, I think a lot of people forget and don't plan to succeed. You know, they kind of plan to get by. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we were kind of planning on getting by in that location as the rent went up. And I think that was a mistake, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, knowing it, you know, and our, our business plan and all that stuff, you know, I mean, your initial business plan is so rough and so, um, uh, so much not reality, right? <laughs> well, a lot of it you just make up, right? You don't have any of the hard numbers to really reference you no and you don't know what your sales are going to be. You just, you, yeah. You have lots of estimates. You revise yeah, later. And I think now there's much more data. If you're, if you're willing to dig now, there's a lot more data. Um, if you're willing to go to some trade shows and talk to stores and things like that, a lot more people have, you know, systems in place where they have data and they track sales and they know what's going on and they can talk numbers to you a little bit. Mm. Um, uh, whereas when we were opening, I mean, a lot of stores, I'd say the vast majority of stores didn't really track much in the way of inventory dollars or sales data i mean they might have known their sales for the year but they had no idea where they really came from or what their turn rates were or how much inventory they were really carrying at any given moment um uh, you know you're you know you're hearkening back to the days of you know a guy would you know wander around his store call his distributor chat for an hour and place an order based on what he thought was missing from his shelves yeah right <laughs> You know, um, without any internet sales pressure or anything else, that, that business model was viable, 
right? Yeah. You got stuff in, you sold it. There was no nobody was going to buy their gaming stuff anywhere but you if you were the local store. There weren't as many local stores, you know. So you just kind of got stuff in, it sold, you bought some stuff back. You didn't really know what was going on. You um, just so, had more money at the end of the month than you did at the beginning of the month. Yeah. So getting information from those guys. I mean, we went to the Gamma Trade Show and a couple other things before we opened. And, you know, there was at that point in time, there was really only one guy in the industry who had any data and knowledge. Um, uh, and that was a guy named Dave Wallace, yep. who's written some, you know, kind of famous industry books on, on how on numbers and things like that. And I mean, basically, it was, you know, I mean, Jeff and I realized really quickly that Dave was pretty much the only guy in the room at that time <laughs> that we wanted to talk to. Um, we spent some time with him. Dave actually lives um, in my original hometown in Missouri. So long, long ago, I had been to a store that he then owned. Um, uh, you know, so I had a little bit of a, a connection with Dave. So we chatted a bunch, and I kind of got some base numbers on how things worked. And you know, that was those baseline numbers were really all we had, right? Um, That's a good start, though. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. I give him a lot of credit to our early viability and ability to, you know, at least have something to kind of measure to and look at. Um, without that, we were definitely flying, you know, 100% blind with him. I say we had, you know, 50% visibility on something, right? Mm -hmm. Now you go to trade shows and there's a whole lot of people in the room that have a lot of good data, right? And can talk to you about the Dave Wallace type numbers and also, you know, about how those numbers vary based on various types of businesses and things like that. You know, so if, if you want to be a magic centric store, there's, you know, a half dozen guys in the room at any given moment who do that really well at a trade show that you can talk to. If you want to be more diversified and carry board games, it's the same thing is true, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot more knowledge in the industry People have data to back it up, and I think there's a lot of store owners that are willing and open to talk about stuff to other guys who run stores. That's what I found. Yeah. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, I one of the things that's kept me in the industry is just the fact that there's a lot of really great, passionate people doing what they like, right? Um, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's always fun to talk to other people other guys who run stores um gary ray stopped by my store a few weeks ago yep on his big his big trip right you know i mean and it's it's so funny i mean anytime you get an hour with another store owner it's it's like bliss right they have the same problems and the same successes and it's it's fun to relate to someone right yeah day to day your, your customers don't don't know the back end pain <laughs> yeah no it's it's one of the the troublesome things about being an entrepreneur and owning your own business, generally speaking, yeah. it's pretty lonely. There's just yeah. not that many of us. There are not that many, right? Um, uh, and I think that's one of the most one of the most valuable things for me. Um, uh, my business partner Jeff and I both still both still share the business, and Jeff actually doesn't live in town at this point. He's um, uh, he's out of town. He's still in high tech. So, um, uh, but having having that other guy who's you know also vested in the outcome of everything we do. Um, uh, even if he's not now that he's not there, having that guy that I can talk to is incredibly valuable. Yeah, you know, I I sympathize with the one man shows that get burnt out. 
um, uh, you know, without another another person to bounce ideas off of, and just sometimes just confirm that you're not, you know, that you're not being stupid about something. You yeah, know? It, can, it can definitely help. You know, it's 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 nice sometime to go. All right, so here's this data, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure this is what it means, and this is what I think I'm going to do. You know, it's nice to have someone else look at it and go, "Yeah, that seems right." Yeah, or you know, call you out on it. Or no, no, you've got this completely wrong. Like, okay, sure? thanks for you know giving me the alternative perspective. Oh, and it's it's so important because sometimes you're so close to something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because having Jeff not be at the store has almost been more valuable. Because before we were both very close to it, and that perspective is really warped from that proximity window, right? Yeah. Um, uh, now I can send him some stuff, talk to him about it, and he can have a completely different viewpoint because he's not in the middle of it. You know, so it's it's a very it's a nice thing to have um, uh, a, a smart guy on the inside who's who's got a different viewpoint, right? Yeah. Sounds like a pretty big advantage. Yeah, I think it's helped us a lot over the years, right? I mean, having having two heads is definitely better than one, right? Yeah. So did he voluntarily, uh, like, step back? Like you said, he's in tech still. He's doing his own thing. Yeah, he's he's um uh, he's kind of at that point in his tech career where for him to um uh, for him to walk away would be kind of silly. <laughs> mm. Um, uh, and he and he really and he really does like it. Um. Uh, He's he's in, you know, upper management at a big tech company now, and uh, he definitely likes that that part of the job. I mean, he was always very technical engineering kind of guy, but I mean, he moved into management pretty quickly, and he's good at it. And so it's uh, and he enjoys it, you know. So he enjoys, you know, managing big groups of people and fixing problems and doing that kind of thing. So it's it's a good fit for him, and he likes it. So I think that. Uh, in the back of his mind, someday he might step away, but his kids are younger than mine too, so he's got a ways to go. Gotcha. And I'm just curious about the the nature of the partnership and how it, uh, you know, how you balance out your responsibilities. Yeah, so it, you know, it's it's interesting. My uh, my attorney for the for the for the business um, uh, was teasing me last summer when we were having a meeting about how I should never go into another partnership in my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because because I've been married for 25 years and um, uh, that's still working and my business partnership's been going since 98 and we still both seem to like each other and we're happy. And he said, you know, he's, he's like, this just isn't normal and you should know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Jeff and I started the store as 50-50 partners. Um, uh and that hasn't changed. You know, we've got, you know, paperwork and all that kind of stuff for owner-operator agreements and all that kind of stuff in place if anything were to happen and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. uh, so if anything ever did go wrong, we've got it all. It's all laid out just in case. Um, uh, we've got all the paperwork for, you know, if somebody dies or all that kind of stuff, right? So, you know, we've definitely covered our bases from a legal standpoint, right? Uh, but, you know, I think when we open the store... I mean, I, I know that, I, mean, I think I can speak for Jeff on this one too, and that I think we both were willing to risk a certain amount of money and just place bets on each other that we would be successful. 
I mean, with no retail experience whatsoever, I was like, well, I'm willing to bet money on Jeff and Steve making it work. I don't, I mean, I'm not worried about it. Um, uh, That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I so like I that. We, go ahead. No, I just, I like, I like the way you put that, the betting on one another. That's, that's really what's happening. You're trusting yeah. each other to actually, uh, like, yeah, yeah, we can so make this work. We can make it work. Right. I mean, I think we both, we both recognize that we were both, you know, definitely not stupid and competent at what we did and had succeeded at our other endeavors in the past. So, you know, I think we were both willing to kind of place a bet on each other and not, not worry about it. Um, and I think, you know, we're still 50-50 partners, like I said. We've had, a, you know, the way that we handle the, the kind of responsibilities and, and value and things like that is that because we're, you know, we each own half the business at the end of the year, you know, or however often we determine to do draws to split profits and stuff, we take those 50-50, um, just like we always have. And then I just draw a higher proportionate, you know, monthly salary, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, you know, we've really, I mean, you know, knock on wood, I, I feel very fortunate to have, have him as a partner, right? We've never really had a big disagreement on, you know, pay or any, any type of salary type of issues or anything like that. So, Pretty, yeah, pretty in line philosophically, I think, with how we want to, you know, handle employees and all that kind of stuff. So, sounds like you struck gold. I I feel like I'm pretty lucky, right? I mean, you know, who knows, right? Maybe it'll all fall apart next week, but <laughs> let's um, hope not. I would bet that it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, I couldn't ask for a better partner. I mean, you know, some people, you know. It's like refer to him as a silent partner at this point, right? But it's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. I mean, he's not here, but I mean, we talk a lot. So it's, uh, you know, and we're still great friends, right? I mean, the biggest the biggest complaint I have about him not living around is we don't get to game together very often. Mm, yeah. You know, I'm, I miss a gaming buddy more than, I, more than anything else. Um, uh, yeah, you can definitely feel that, that absence. You've got like a gaming group, and they all disperse, yeah. and like all of a sudden you're like, oh, no yeah. more, no more game time with friends. It's a it's a big deal, right? I mean, it's, it's a bummer. It's hard. I've got a buddy right now who's unemployed, who's one of my core gaming buddies, and myself and a, and another couple guys who game with regularly. We're all, we're all in a panic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we've got to find him a job locally because well, we don't want him moving, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> Worst possible thing is to lose someone that you you like to game with it's it's pretty tough and it's non-gamers probably don't have an have an understanding of what that's like yeah it's it's weird i don't think people get it right um you know i mean to me that's probably the next closest step outside of family yeah right i mean i've got the guys who work for and with me I mean, those are those guys are obviously very close to me. But I mean, there's a there's you know, I mean, after years of gaming together, you know, every week or whatever. I mean, I try to game. We got a group of guys I game with pretty much weekly, and uh, I mean, yeah, those guys are as close of friends as a guy can have, really. Yeah. You know, I think that's the. I think that's one of the things that makes the game business so powerful. It's just this uh, camaraderie that you get. From being a gamer, the community, the the friendships that are built, it's n- it's not it's not like any other industry. 
the the I, customers that come into your store. It's not it. There's nothing quite like it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I tell people all the time. It's like if you just want to make money, there's probably a whole lot of things you could sell. <laughs> but I I don't want to just make money, right? I want to like what I do. I want to like what I sell, right? I mean, to me, there's something very satisfying about you know the relationship that I have even with customers that I've known now for you know. 16 years or something like that right yeah uh, you know it's like it's it's very satisfying to put a game into someone's hand that you know they'll love yeah yeah uh, you know and i and i have i mean other store owners that i have you know that i'm friends with across the country and some of my friends at manufacturers and publishers and distributors i mean you know i can't imagine ever not being friends with some of those guys mm-hmm and and it's really all part of that you just tight knit gamer feeling, right? You know, it's like we're kinda all in this together. We all like the same things, we're passionate about it. And we may I mean, a lot of us have wild just crazy different political views and other things. You know, but but yet we all really get along and have a great time together. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. I it's think hard to replicate. Yeah, I, I think especially having owned a store and having that big community of people who play at my store and hang out and stuff, I've never, I've never been involved with groups of people that are so accepting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really care who you are. If you love the same game and show up to play with the guys who, who share that passion for that game, it doesn't really matter, you know, what your you know political affiliation or race or sexual orientation or anything right i mean it's 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 mind-blowing to me how anyone can just show up sit down at the table and everybody's like yeah whatever this is great let's play yeah you know it's uh it's to me it's fascinating right and i don't think you see that you certainly don't see that at you know i mean in in sports or other things where there's just this complete level of you know it just doesn't matter who or what you are if you're if you share this passion with us we're, we're all good right yeah it's a very inclusive community very much so yeah and it's actually getting better too which is interesting yeah i think so recently think in the that, last couple of years it's it's improved people are much more accepting than they were uh, before oh yeah yeah and i think that uh it's interesting because I do think a lot of the, the negative perceptions that, that did exist were not necessarily from the face-to-face gaming community. A lot of that stemmed from mm-hmm. a lot of online backlash. Yeah. Um, uh, I've never really witnessed um, the negativity that you see online in person. Yeah. Yeah. The, the stuff that happens online is an entirely different level. The yeah. anonymity makes it much easier for people to be assholes. Yeah. You're just not going to get that when you're playing face-to-face over a board game. Someone's not going to be that kind of a person. Not that, not to that level. I mean, occasionally you'll get somebody who's just kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Right? But, uh, you know, the... the um, uh, I try to think over the years, you know, I think... Since we've opened in 98, there have been two, I think, two people that we've asked not to come back to the community, you know, which I guess is inevitable. 
Well, there's there's some. always a certain number of people who just you know aren't going to integrate very well, but yeah, you got to deal with that. But yeah. that's a pretty good run. That's a long time. And it's not like, of all the numbers of people who have you know been a part of your your store. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good rate. And I'll I'll never forget the first guy that we that we asked to get rid of. We asked him to never come back because shortly thereafter, I learned that more than one other store had also asked him not to come back. <laughs> so I had been agonizing and agonizing over this guy who was just a horrible, horrible influence in a particular genre of game that we had at the store. And uh, just just awful. Just, just nonstop, you know, no matter what. When he was there, no one had fun. No. Uh, and, you know, and I talked to him a couple times, tried to, you know, try to kind of get it through to him, you know, how people should behave and act. And it just clearly wasn't working right. And finally, it was just killing me. I finally made the move and, you know, fired this customer and member of the community, right? Which, I, I mean, in hindsight, he wasn't really a member of the community, but I felt like he was, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and then, you know, as soon as I did that, I find out from, you know, two other guys, oh, yeah, we got rid of him a while ago. It's like, well, that's why he showed up at my place then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, so it's like, okay, I didn't feel near as bad when I realized that this guy's basically not welcome anywhere in town. Um, Pretty rough for that guy. You think he'd learn yeah. his lesson the first time someone said, get out of my store. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and you wonder what's wrong with that person. But at some point, you know, you, all you can do is talk to him a few times. And at some point, you just have to cut you your have losses. To make, the call, make the call for the community, right? And say, you're just you're that guy who just is the bad seed. I I'm sorry. Yeah. You know. You're ruining everyone else's experience. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest I mean I mean, if if your community is not having a great time, why would they come back? Yep. You know, so I that's that's one of the things we've learned running events over the years is that the staff really has to make sure that there's never one of those guys around. Right. To really keep your eye out for that guy because he will pop up, right? <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, and a lot of times you get, you know, a younger guy who's just kind of, you know, a little lacking in social skills, doesn't quite get that he's abrasive, etc. right? And you talk to him once or twice and then he's fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, so if you kind of catch it early, you know, and talk to him the right way and help him out, a lot of times it's it's fine, right? It all works out. You know, they may just never have really been told because people don't like to have those conversations with people. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, it, can, it can be awkward. Yeah. It's kind of like the uh, the body odor conversation. So yeah. People are just sort of like, oh, well, I don't want to be rude and tell them, you know, somebody who obviously needs that information. Yes. That, but, yeah, it's hard for people to do that. So, and some yeah. sometimes, though, you just have to get it done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I've I've gotten to the point where I have enough on my staff that's been around long enough now that I don't feel like I have to be the guy that has that conversation with somebody. You know, I've got I've got employees who work for me who are capable of having that conversation. Um, well, that's good. Know, so, you know, in the original days, you know, way back when, I felt like oh, I probably better go do that, right? Yeah. But now it's like you know, it's like okay, you know. You're the magic guy, and there's a guy in the magic community that you need to talk to, so that's you. Because <laughs> yeah. me showing up and talking to him isn't going to matter, because he doesn't even know who I am. 
Yeah, no, that's that's the uh, the benefit of being the owner. You get to delegate. Yeah, yeah. And I certainly don't mind doing it, but I don't want to do it to some guy who's never seen me. Yeah, it kind of helps when they've already got a rapport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I haven't done. I haven't done Friday Night Magic in forever, right? You know, so it's just not on my my list of duties these days. So mm-hmm. if there's somebody there that needs to have that talk, it's probably not best coming from me. Yeah. So let's do the the flip side of sure. what we were just talking about. Do you have a, a good customer story? Like, do you have something? You have a, a customer experience story that like your your favorite thing? A good experience, oh, not a bad one. So so many now, right? I mean after so many years, right? There's just, I mean, I've got one guy who's, I mean, just, I mean, he's, I mean, it's like right now, probably the the ongoing favorite story is I've got a guy who um, uh, used to hang out at my store when he was a little kid. And um, uh, everybody always liked him. Just, you know, one of those kids who was, just just had that personality, really nice guy, etc. Mm-hmm. He went away to school. We hadn't seen him for a long time, right? And he, he, you know, he moved back to the area. He works for one of the tech companies in the area now, and um, uh, he's, uh, you know, kind of started casually becoming a customer again here and there. And then he was gone for a while, and um, uh, he'd had a had a baby, and now he has two kids. And he and his two kids, because a lot of the a lot of the tech companies in the area have have these interesting. They they do three twelve four twelves for their work weeks. Okay. So three twelve hour days one week, four days off, and then the next week they work four twelve hour days and have three days off. Gotcha. Um, uh, so he's got um, some weekdays off, right, with his two incredibly cute little kids, right? So they come in pretty much pretty much every Monday afternoon. And um, he's a pretty passionate gamer, and he's always excited to hear what, what new games are there and stuff. But, I mean, his him and his two kids come in pretty much every Monday afternoon now. And it's so it's so interesting to me to see, you know, the kid that used to hang out at my store coming in with his kids, essentially weekly, just to come in and chat with the staff, buy a new game, hang out a little bit. And his kids are just, like, they they just light up the entire staff every time they come in. Right. I mean, all the, the two kids both love everybody on staff. You know, it's a complete and total distraction every Monday. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm always there on Monday, so I don't mind. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's probably my favorite current customer story is, is in general, I've got I've got that guy and I've got a couple of other guys who were hanging out at my store all the time as kids, little, you know, like middle school kids when we first opened, um, you know, kind of the perfect gamer kid age to come hang out at the game store right yep and uh you know there's so much that you almost forgot they were there right um, uh, and now they've they've kind of grown up gone away disappeared for a while gone off and got a college degree or whatever and come back and and now that they have kids it's probably it's probably the most exciting thing that they're excited to bring their kids to to the store right yeah uh, and that's i mean to me, that's probably the big kind of storyline to the to the whole business, right? Is that we've lasted long enough now that we've got guys who hung out as little kids coming back with their kids, and yeah, they got to grow up with you. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's just, I mean, to me, that's fantastic, right? I mean, that's like a dream come true for me to see 
people who like us so much they're excited to bring their kids back and their families and you know and now they're buying like games for themselves and games for their to play with their little kids around the house and stuff too so mm-hmm. i think to me that's the i mean just in general that's the best thing um you know i try to think there's all kinds of like little stories about you know i've got the i've got a bunch of customers that we see you know once a year at christmas and, uh, who you know because i i mean it's funny because i don't work a lot of days on the sales floor anymore mm-hmm. um, my primary duties for the store are you know kind of just kind of steering the ship in a general course <laughs> and uh and doing a lot of the i do a lot of our basically our buying and pre-order yeah. you know to, i, I kind of make a lot of calls on what we think is going to be successful and what products a lot of the back end stuff yeah yeah that kind of stuff right um uh, but i work a whole lot in the store you know, the few weeks around Christmas because it's kind of all hands on deck all the time, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and so I've got customers now that have been coming to me specifically for 15 years to pick out, you know, 10 Christmas gifts. You know, it's like, I'm back again. You know, it's like this. I mean, <laughs> these people I see once a year, you know, and they specifically come to our store every December to buy a gift for basically their whole family. Every everybody in their family is getting something from Rainy Day Games, and it's like I've got a couple guys who come to my store who I never see otherwise. And I look at their sales in our computer. They come in Christmas. They might come in one other time in the entire year, right? Mm-hmm. But every year at Christmas they come in. They specifically seek me out on the sales floor and and tell me how great my recommendations were last year, <laughs> and want and want me to pick out games for this person, this person, this person, and they, you know, we go through this whole thing and they buy their stack of games and they're thrilled and they leave, right? It's just, it's exciting to me that somebody remembers every year that this is the only shopping experience they want for the holidays. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, so that that's exciting to me, right? We got, I mean, having those few guys come in, um, uh, I'm always terrified I'm not going to be around, right? It's like, I can't go home. <laughs> I haven't seen these people. Tell your employees to call you if you see them come in. Exactly. Yeah, but it's funny. I, for for whatever reason, I almost you know, always catch. There's one or two guys that that basically catch me every year, um, uh, and they're just and you know, and it's so funny because they're just they want to see me, and it's like I, you know, I'm not even the expert anymore at some of this stuff, right? You know, yeah. you probably ought to talk to this guy. He might know more. But you're the guy. You're but the, the guy who started the whole thing. But they, but they love the fact that I've helped them, you know, every year for so long, you know, and, and then you know they they always ask, you know, they ask me about my daughter and everything else, right? And that's it's it's just it's kind of neat to see the community, you know, embrace embrace your business that way, right? Yeah, I guess one of the things that makes a game store business so extraordinary is that you do end up like sharing your life with these people. Like you get to know them, they become friends. Oh yeah, that your customers really come into your life and and integrate in a way that just doesn't really happen in any in anything else. It's true. I mean, I've I've got customers who will see me. I've got customers who go to Gen Con every year, and I mean, I've got guys who will be at Gen Con and they will either find me at Gen Con or they will text me on my cell phone. During Gen Con, they'll be texting me every once in a while. Mm-hmm. There's this game. It looks awesome. I want to get it. When will you have it? Yeah. And it's like... You should you buy know, it, so like, I should buy it from you. I don't want to buy it here and have to carry it home. 
will you have it within the next month? Yeah. Right. You know, or do I need to get it? Right. And if I know I'm not going to get it, I say, no, you better get it. Cause I'm not going to have that till October. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and they really value the fact that, you know, they can ask me, you know, and they, they know that I don't care that they, they buy it. Right. That's <laughs> like, no, if you want it now, you should get it. Right. You know, and they value that. Right. Yeah. The honesty that you care. Yeah. 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 It's like, no, if you're really excited about that, you should probably get it because I don't know when it's coming for real, right? Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times it'll be like, oh, yeah, no, that released simultaneously in stores. We'll have it waiting for you when you get packed, right? You know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's neat. And, you know, I mean, I see people, uh, you know, at restaurants and other, you know, it's like it's it's funny. I feel like at about the 12-year mark, we kind of crossed this threshold where we – we had hit critical mass at an entirely new level. Okay. You know, I felt like after about three years, there was this surge and about seven years, there was another surge of just, it's like a certain number of people know you and you reach this critical mass where people are telling enough friends that your business is growing kind of organically. Yeah. Um, uh, and I felt like maybe at about the 12 year, I think it was about 12 year mark that we hit the point where, oftentimes in public I see people I know from the store like I mean just and Portland's not tiny right yeah I mean but I see people I go to the minor league baseball game and I see people who know me from the store right I know I mean I go to the farmer's market and I see people who know me from the store right you know it's just yeah the degrees of separation have come down yeah. right yeah you know everybody because so, you've got friends who've got friends and yeah 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 and it's, I mean, it's interesting, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of cool to have become a part of the community that people care about. I love the fact that we're a destination when people have friends visit, they bring them to the store. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're going to the coast. We're going to take them to Mount Hood. We're going to go see Multnomah Falls. We're going to Powell's Books because that's worldwide famous. And, uh, and 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 I wanted to bring them to your store, right? <laughs> That's always a good feeling to have somebody think of you as as one of the must stops when their when their friends or family visit, right? Yeah, that's when you know you made it. You know, so yeah, it's it's been a fun journey, right? I mean, I feel very fortunate to be in the industry. Do you want to talk about your consulting on the side now? Sure, sure. We can talk a little bit about that. So, how did you get into that? Like, did you? Have you published games before, or do you... What's the yes. on? So, I'm trying to think, so... All right, that was part one of the Steve Ellis Rainy Day Games interview. I hope you enjoyed that one. Make sure you come back next week for part two. And in the meantime, you can go to ManiverseSaga.com to learn more about game store entrepreneurship and the magic community. And then while you're there, you can also check out Maniverse Academy. As always, uh, thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.